Welcome, welcome all of you uh, to, to Harvest again. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, it's a, it is a, um, whoop, it's a happy uh, Mother's Day today. So for those who are, whoop, um, those who are mothers, we um, are especially um, thankful for you this day. Um, and if you were able to sneak in without being recognized and without getting a flower, a carnation um, bouquet, please do pick one up as you as you exit uh, our worship service here, the conclusion of our time here. Um, if you ha- were not here last week, um, we're kind of jumping in the uh, second week of a series called Empty. Um, I don't know what you think about when you think of this word empty. Perhaps you think about, uh, you think about um, your, maybe your car gas tank. And especially in, in this kind of economy, you're thinking, man, my uh, gas tank is always empty, right? Doesn't it feel like that? It always feels like it's on empty. Or you know, when you let someone drive your car, you let someone borrow your car, it always seems to come back to you empty. Maybe you think about that and, and how um, your gas tank is always, always like that. Maybe you think about your wallet um, and how whenever it's time to uh, go somewhere, time to eat or time to buy something, you, you look at your wallet and it always feels like your wallet is empty. Or maybe uh, a lot of times this happens on Sunday morning. Maybe you feel like your stomach is empty, right? Uh, and then someone starts talking about food and, and you get really hungry and you realize, this, usually this happens maybe not so much at 11 o'clock, but as we go into our Bible study times, um, usually as we move into our adult Bible study time, there's always one or two people who are really uh, hungry and their stomachs begin to, to growl and it's, it's always a reminder uh, that their stomachs are, are empty. I don't know what you think about uh, I don't know what you think about when you hear this word empty, but one thing I, I, I think is pretty clear, that whenever we have this emptied feeling in our lives, the tendency and the nature of human beings is that we would constantly try and do whatever we can in order to fill that emptiness. It's, it's true with your gas tank, it's true with your wallet, it's true with your stomach, and it's true of our souls as well. Maybe uh, as you have come here this morning, you feel like there's a sense of emptiness in your heart, an emptiness in your soul. And we do whatever we can in order to get rid of that emptiness because that emptiness is constantly telling us that it's empty and that it wants and needs and yearns to be filled. We're in this series and we're talking, we're looking in, in Genesis and looking at the life of the, the third set of patriarchs, uh, Jacob and uh, his, his brother Esau, but particularly focusing on Jacob. And we began this series last week looking at the circumstances surrounding their birth. And one major thing that we talked about last week is that when we try and do God's will our way, or when we try and do God's thing, but we try and do it ultimately to get to our will, then it never ends up in God's blessing, never ends up in God's fullness, and we constantly find ourselves being empty. It's only when we do God's will And we do it God's way that it ends up with God's blessing and God's fullness. And we don't have to live in this constant sense of emptiness. We're going to kind of uh, next few weeks bounce back and forth through this this story of Jacob, this uh, guy who lived uh, in real time some uh, many, 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 many centuries ago. But as we look into his life, we're going to kind of uh, dance around and and look at other members of his family because we'll see he comes from a very dysfunctional family. And in that dysfunctional family, not only Jacob, but his brother Esau as well, his twin brother, older twin brother, was deeply uh, empty and living with this gnawing sense of of emptiness. You remember last week that though Esau was older than Jacob, it was Jacob who was promised by God that he's going to be the greater of the brothers, right? And it's just a huge twist of of, uh, just complete 
undoing of cultural norms and cultural milieu in those days, God said that the younger Jacob is going to be greater than the older brother Esau. And so we see um, these things being played out. And we see the beginning of this uh, in the passage that we're going to look at today. So Genesis chapter 25. If you have your Bible, Genesis 25, we're going to read a couple verses that we ended with last week, I think. Uh, verse 27. And then we're going to kind of power forward through verse 34. And just one main point that we're going to hit on today and just constantly um, emphasize this point. Uh, Genesis chapter 25, verses 27 through 34. This is God's word. So the boys, Jacob and Esau, grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, But Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. Esau said, what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is God's word. This is really um, really, uh, an entertaining passage. I think if you get into the heart, we're going to kind of walk through this text. Uh, Esau, the older brother, could not be more different from Jacob, his younger brother. Sometimes you look at them and you wonder how they could have come out of the same set of parents and how they could be twins. Uh, Esau, it it says, became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. We we read last week in in, in verse 25 that he came out red and his body was like a hairy garment. I I don't know if this is how accurate this is, but sometimes I think of uh, Russell Crowe from Gladiator, like the Gladiator. That's what I think of when I think of Esau. He's like this man's man. He's like hairy. He's a, a warrior. And then it says Jacob in verse 27, was a quiet man staying among the tents. Maybe he, I don't know, uh, I don't know what a good, back in the day, he might have been like, I don't know, Pee Wee Herman or somebody. Maybe he, uh, Toby Maguire, perhaps, kind of not like, uh, I don't know, like Billy Elliot, maybe kind of the ballerina, but likes to do ballet. But this is, this is Jake. These guys are, are complete opposites. Sometimes when you have siblings who are this different from each other, they can get along really well. Like they have such a great time and you're like, man, this is crazy because you guys are so different. Maybe it's like that other times. Other times a sibling rivalry could be so bad because they're so different from each other. With Jacob and Esau, uh, they didn't like each other. They didn't get along. They didn't get along with each other. And what made it even worse was that their parents played favorites with them. Here's what it says in verse 28. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Okay, so the father loves the eldest son. And what reason does it give? This is almost comical also. Isaac loves his son Esau. Why? Because he had a taste for wild game. Esau, I love you. Thanks, Dad. Why? Because I love wild game. Right? It's almost like 
That doesn't seem to make any sense. And then you've got Rebecca. It says, Rebecca, verse 28, loved Jacob. Doesn't really say why. Maybe it's because she knew that the oldest son, Esau, was loved by her father, by her husband, and so she got the leftover. Or maybe she just felt like he's going to be the one who's going to be the bearer of all these promises. And so she knew that there was something special and God favored him and she loved him more. Maybe it, it just simply the fact that she was, he was the youngest one. He was a younger one. And so sometimes moms tend to coddle the youngest one. But for whatever reason... Mom loved Jacob, dad loved Esau, and it created this chasm between the two. There's a a therapist named Eric Fromm, and he talks about how every single one of us is created with a need for both a mother's love and a father's love. Okay, a mother's love, which is that unconditional kind of nurturing, loving, always doting on that kind of love. And a father's love, which is more condition-driven. It's based on performance that as you achieve, you are applauded and you are loved as a way of knowing that you can do it, that you can accomplish it. This therapist says that we need both the mother's love and the father's love. And when we don't have one or the other, we grow up with this sense of emptiness. Now, maybe uh, some of us, as we think about our lives, uh, that is, that's ex- that explains things. We think we've got this emptiness because I've always, I've always understood this love or that love, but not this one and not that one. As we'll see in this passage, both Jacob and Esau grow up with this sense of emptiness within their heart, and it plays out in two completely different ways. Next, we're going to look at Jacob, but today we want to focus on Esau. And what we see with Esau is this, just very simply, and if you, if you write this in your bulletin, this is what you've got to write. When we're empty... The temptation is to trade the ultimate for the immediate. When we're empty inside, here's the temptation to trade what is ultimate, these grander, greater, best things for the sake of that which is immediate in our lives. Let me explain this as we walk through this text. Verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. So here, here's literally here's what he's saying. It, it paints Esau as this kind of like Neanderthal kind of person. Because when he says, quick, let me have some of this, literally what he's saying is, let me gulp down some of this. Okay, the word that he, they're using, the word that he's using is only used by Jewish rabbis to explain when you take food and you stuff it down the throat of an animal. That's literally what Esau is saying. He's saying, quick, let me stuff this down my throat. Because I'm so hungry, but it's, it's also interesting that the NIV translated has some of that red stew. In other translations, it says, give me some of that red stuff. That's not even what the uh, original language says. What he, it, uh, what he literally says is, give me some of that red, that red. What in the world is that? That's what he says. Like, this is caveman talk here. It's like he's so, like, He's so like driven by, by this longing, by this hunger, that he can't, even, he can't even say what it is. He's like, give me some of that red, that red, that red. You know, when we're, <laughs> when we're desperate, a lot of times that's kind of how we act. He says, give me, it's like, I don't know, if you've, if you've those of you who come to, to SNF, or you go to house church. Imagine you're at your house church meeting or you're at your SNF and someone has been out playing basketball and then they call everyone in to eat or someone comes to house church and they've been doing P90X, right? They're really, really hungry and they've been working out and all this stuff and, and they barge in late, right? Food starts at 5.30 or maybe your house church starts at 7 o'clock. It's like 7.30, they come in late. 
they bust in and they're like, mm, how come no one's eating yet? And they look and it's, it's like spaghetti. Like, quick, quick, give me some of that, give me some of that red, that red. Hey, you look at that person and what are you thinking? Like, dude, did your mother not teach you any manners? Like, didn't anyone teach you? For Esau, mom didn't teach him any manners. It is almost like this, this caveman sense of, mm, you know, I'm going to eat some of that, that red. And so here he goes. He goes in for his big red. And, and Jacob says, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. He says, let me have some. I'm famished. Literally, he's like, I'm going to die. And we get, when we get desperate, we tend to over-exaggerate things, don't we? And so we say, give me some of that. I need it now. Right? He's like, have you seen the, those, those commercials for like this J.G. Wentworth where these guys are opening up their window? They're like, I need my money, and I need it now. Have you seen this? I don't know why. Like everyone op- there's like 10 different people that open up their window, and they shout the exact same thing. I don't understand it. But that's kind of what Esau is saying. I'm, I need it, and I need it now. And he, he's screaming. Because when we're desperate, when we're desperate, we tend to over- emphasize and over exaggerate that we have this like distortion of, of reality but this is this desperation within him and we know how desperate a person is by what they're willing to pay in order to get the thing that they want this uh past week last week on uh, i think it was tuesday olivia and manny were away so i wanted to to try and play some basketball while i i could and so uh, first time since december it was almost tragic but first time since december i was really excited when I play basketball, I usually bring my, my own water bottle because um, I don't like sharing my water bottle uh, when I play basketball. It was one thing if, like, you know, we're at home or something and, uh, you know, I wanna, someone wants to drink my water. That's cool. Germs, whatever. It's okay. But when we're playing basketball, it's a completely different story. Right? Because when you play basketball and, and someone wants to, to drink your water, it's kind of like, first of all, everyone is like, they're breathing really heavy, right? And when you breathe heavy for this long, Especially when you don't chew gum, your breath begins to stink, right? This is nasty. They're breathing real heavy. And then when you're playing basketball, people are like, hey, can I have a, a sip of water? They don't care how clean they are about it. They, like, put their mouth all in they lick it and stuff like that. They don't do that, but they don't care. They're completely uncouth about it, right? And, and then you're playing, and, and you're sweating, right? You're sweating, and so drops of sweat go into the water, and it's, like, it, it's nasty stuff. So by the time you drink it, a completely different different compound and so i you know i I bring my own i bring my own thing of water to to drink when i play and before i play the game i pray god please don't let anyone ask me for my water and so (laughs) tuesday we're playing at the ymca there's like a a few college folks and some some youth students and two games and i was completely spent it's not like it was two games back to back like up to 100 anything it's like two games up to 11 games were done in 10 minutes three game break in between and then the next game a game was like 10 minutes long. And at the end of two games, I was completely done. So I was like, stick a fork in me. It's over. And so I'm sitting there and I'm panting. My tongue is literally, not literally, but it's figuratively on the ground. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm dying. And the biggest tragedy was that I didn't bring my water bottle. I was like, I'm in big, big trouble here. And so I'm just sitting there and I was like, I, I really don't like using the water fountains because those things are nasty and those things are dirty and all this accumulation of sweat and, and things go in there. And so I don't want to, I don't want to, so I'm sitting there, and I think I look like I'm dying because one of our guys, I think it was Joseph. Joseph says, hey, you want some water? At that point, you know how desperate you are by what price you're willing to pay in order to get something. I said, please, let me have some of that water. He gave me some water, and as I tasted it, I didn't care. I didn't care that it was no longer 
H2O, right? It was H2O plus like salt and stuff like that. I didn't care that it tasted like Florida egg water with, with like sprinkling in salt. And I didn't care about any of that stuff. The fact that five people's mouth had touched this thing. I said, I don't care. I need this water and I need it now. Because you know how desperate somebody is by what they're willing to pay in order to get the thing that they want. And so here's Esau. He says, I need my stew and I need it now. And Jacob says to him, first, sell me your birthright. Verse 32, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? Now, we hear this and we're like, okay, that's cool. He's about to die. What good is a birthright? But in those days, people who are reading what Moses is writing, this is completely unconscionable. You can't even think that somebody would say, what good is a birthright to me? Because here's what a birthright meant. It, it was given to the eldest son. I, I had, um, growing up, I had two uh, twin friends. Their names were Freddie and Joey. Freddie was born like five minutes before Joey. But every time Joey addressed Freddie, he had to call him by the honorific Korean title for older brother. He had to say, Hyung. And so Joey was always so upset. He's like, you got to be kidding me. Five minutes late, and I have to call you by this title. This birthright was given to the eldest son. There's a whole lot more than just a title. It, it meant at least two things. It meant honor, and it meant responsibility. Here's the honor of it. If the birthright was given to you, if the birthright's given to you, here's what it means. It means that when your father passes away, you get a double portion of the inheritance. That means if your father's worth $100,000 and you've got, and you've got nine, uh, there's nine siblings. They would divide that, not by nine, they divide it by ten. Every brother would get one-tenth of it, but the one with the birthright would get two-tenths of it. He would get double what every other brother gets. Okay, so this meant he's getting a lot more than other, and the, the fewer the children the bigger the discrepancy. So you've got Jacob, you've got Esau, you've got two kids. He divides his inheritance into three. Jacob gets one third, Esau gets two thirds. And remember, Isaac is a baller. He's got lots of money. And so what, basically what, what Esau is giving up is tons and tons and tons and tons of money. That's the first thing. He's giving up all of this honor. The second thing he's giving up is the responsibility. And he's giving up the responsibility that when the father passes away or in the absence of the father, dad goes away traveling, then it's the firstborn son, the son with the birthright, who takes responsibility over the family. He becomes the head of the household. It's Prince William instead of Pr Prince Harry, right? This is who it is. It's the eld he's the one with the birthright here. He's the one who has direct uh, lineage, succession, the, the, uh, becomes a successor to all that the family owns. And in this particular family, in this particular family, here's what it means. All of the promises that were promised to Abraham to be a great nation, to have people, to have a lineage, to have a family, to be a blessing to all nations, that comes through this birthright to Esau. Basically, the birthright is everything that God had in store for a person in his past, I'm sorry, in his present, as well as in his future. It was his destiny. It was his plan. It was the dream that God had for it. It was his hopes. It was all of that stuff. And Esau said, what good is that to me? What good is that to me if I can't even live to see tomorrow? See, we see how desperate we are by the price we're willing to pay for that thing that we're longing for. And we would cast stones at Esau if we didn't do this all the time either. Because you see, whenever we trade the ultimate, the plan of God for the immediate, this is what we're doing. 
Every time we compromise a little bit for immediate gratification with our boyfriend or girlfriend, for the sake of all that God has in store for us, that's what we're doing. We're giving up our birthright for the sake of the immediate pleasure. Every time we give in to to laziness or we give in to that temptation, this immediate gratification, every time we do that, it's like the anointing of God over our lives is, is diminishing little by little and little by little. We're trading all of that stuff for this momentary pleasure that we say, I need it and I need it now. Every time we choose to compromise, whether it be in, in, in illicit gambling or in, in going to a place we ought not go to or looking at something we ought not look at or, or thinking and fantasizing about things that we ought not to, to think and fantasize about. Every time we do these things, we begin to brood on these things and begin to give ourselves to it for a moment of gratification. This is what we're doing. We're trading the ultimate and all these grand plans that God has for us and we're trading it for an immediate pleasure. And so many, so many times we bankrupt our future because of that. We bankrupt the plan of God because of that. It's like if someone were to come up to me that day while I was playing basketball. Like, hey, you want some water? Like, uh, yeah, I'll have some water. And they say, before, before, you give, before I give it to you, before I give it to you, here, give me every paycheck from now until the time you die. Give me your social security check. Give me your pension Give me all the plans that God has for you. Give me all the people that, that, that God is going to use to, to, to uh, use you to, to bless their lives. Give me all that stuff, and I'll give you this water. I'd be a fool to say, okay, deal. But that's what we do. That's what we do. Like for, this, for this immediate pleasure, for this immediate gratification, God, I will, I will, give, I will give up what's ultimate. And so Jake, Jacob says, verse 33, but swear to me first it's almost like these little kids right it's almost like these little kids who are like give it to me no give it to me. okay i'll give it to you uh, give me your birth okay i'll give it to you you swear i swear just give it to me already it's like these little kids but it's so much more than that here it's not like it's like he said okay i gave it to you and then they and then esau goes running to dad and says daddy daddy jacob stole the birthright from me oh give it back to him it's not like that because once he swears to him so he swore an oath to him. It becomes a legally binding thing. It cannot be reversed. So in that moment where he says, swear to me first, it's almost like Jacob is giving him an out. He's giving him a choice. Saying, swear to me first, you've got one last, one last chance. As you think about your hopes and dreams and all the things that God has for you, think about this. Because this is what you're about to give up. This is what you're about to trade for this moment of pleasure. And so Esau says, I swear. And he gives it to him. Gives him his birthright. Now on the flip side, I think this is what makes it even more reprehensible to me. What is it? What exactly is that red stuff that he gave it up for? What is this red stuff that he traded? His future, his hope, his, his, his honor, his privilege, his responsibility. What is this stuff he gave it all up for, this red stuff? Now, it, would, I mean, it wouldn't make sense, but it would make a little bit more sense if it was spaghetti with big, large meatballs, right? Might make sense if this is a, a medium-rare steak, perhaps, or McRib sandwich. Might make sense if it was, I don't know, uh, what other red food is there? Apple pie, a red apple, or cherry pie. Okay, maybe that makes a little bit more sense. Or, I don't know, 
uh, hot honey garlic wings. I don't know, whatever that red stuff is, but look at what the red stuff is. Some of y'all getting hungry. Good. Look at what the red stuff is. Verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. Are you kidding me? All that for lentil stew. Some of y'all are like, what in the world is lentil stew? That's what I said. I knew it wasn't good. So I looked it up. I Googled lentil. I asked Olive. She said, it's a legume. It's a bean. It's a vegetable. I looked it up, and I looked up all these lentil recipes and stuff, and I was like, there is no way. There is no way. I mean, lentil has got to mean something different in the Old Testament times, but it didn't. Sure enough, it was that. It was from the bean family. The the only good website I found was, like it said, lentil, the superstar vegetable. I was like, okay, that's cool because it's like it cooks quickly and it goes well with other things and it's high in in some kind of protein or whatever. But that's not what Esau's thinking. Like, this is, man, this is good. Lentil stew. Like, this is, like, every time we give it up, this is what we're getting. It's vegetable. It's lentil. You, I mean, we understand what this means. It, f- several years back, uh, we, were, we finished up a youth retreat, and we had some friends from Virginia come down, and retreat was done, and they wanted to go out to eat. And so one of our gals um, she was, you know, she's still here. Um, she said, let's go to sweet tomatoes. At the time, I never heard of sweet tomatoes. I was like, what is sweet tomatoes? I didn't say that. I said, what's sweet tomatoes? Because I wasn't, I wasn't disgusted at the time. I said, what is sweet tomatoes? And this girl, she said, um, it's a um, salad buffet. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, a salad buffet? Are you kidding me? Like, that's not, that. I, good luck with that. I, that's never going to get off the ground because you know, all you can eat buffet, okay, that's cool. But as soon as people realize that you can only eat one bowl of salad, then that, that, that business is going to tank. So I was like, I don't, I don't want to go to sweet tomato. I don't want to go to all you can eat salad buffet. But, uh, you know, no one listens to what I say. Anyway, so we ended up going to the sweet tomatoes, the salad buffet, and we're eating at this place. And multiple times going up to eat and we're like constantly eating and not getting filled. And um, I'm sure we might've had some lentils at the time, but there was, there was one fellow who's he's six foot five. His name is Albert. He's not a salad eater, right? We ate and we ate and we ate and we're there for like an hour and a half. And the, the ladies were, apparently they were full. And so they said, okay, let's go. And I remember Albert saying, okay, let's go get our real food now. And I remember saying, I'm with you on that. I have no, I have no qualms going with you because we ate these vegetables and it didn't satisfy it didn't fill us lentils that's what lentils is look at what it says it it, it says in verse 34 he ate and drank and then got up and left it's this it's this staccato you can almost like if i if i snap my fingers like this he ate and drank got up and left right it's kind of offbeat but you get the idea this uh hebrew scholars say this kind of staccato rhythm basically saying he he doesn't he doesn't stop to think about he doesn't sit unbuckle his belt and say oh that was a good meal there's no time to savor. He just, he ate and drank, got up, and he leaves. That's it. That's it. There's no time to enjoy it because he's off looking for his next thing. This is what, this is what the writer's trying to say. Whenever we live in the immediate, every time we do, this is what we're eating. It's lentils. We eat and drink, get up, and go because we need to find 
that next lentil stew. And it will never, ever, ever satisfy. This was Esau's deal. And I venture to say that for a lot of us, this is our deal too. And we know it. We eat the lentil stew. We say, that looks so good, but we overestimate its goodness. And at the end of the day, or at the end of the meal, I need to to find something else. I need to find more. And so he does, and he despises his birthright, it says. What What is the lentil stew in your life? That thing that you're like, you know what, I need it, and I need it now. See, here's the discrepancy between what you're giving up and what you're getting. And think about, your, think about all that God has in store for you as a child of God. All the hopes and all the dreams and all the plans and all the people whose life could be touched if you continue walking the life that you're walking. You're giving all that up for lentils. And what is it for you? Is it a hobby? You feel like I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of get involved in this thing, and I'm gonna not worry about all those things that God has for me. So, so someone was saying yesterday for them it was it was this game on on their iPhone, and they delete on their iPad, and they delete not their iPad, their iTouch, and they deleted it off of their thing because they said I'm, I'm I'm wasting too much time. Maybe for some of us that's what it is. That's what we need to do. It's this time wasting hobby. That keeps us from really pressing into what God has for us. Maybe for some, it's, 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 it's a vice. It's a sin. It's a temptation. Maybe for others, it's a person that you know you ought not be either with or thinking about all the time or letting your mind gravitate to all the time. Maybe it's some kind of a destructive tendency. I don't know, I don't know what it is in, in your life. But you know. Because you trade the ultimate for these things and you can't seem to say no to it or you don't want to seem to say no to it. And every time you engage in this thing, you realize that at the end, you're not satisfied. That's all it is. It's a meal at the lentil buffet and that's it. In Hebrews chapter 12, there's a warning to all of us from the writer who understood a little bit about what Esau was going through. In Hebrews chapter 12, Verse 16, it says, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Verse 17, Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. What was Esau's problem? His problem was that he was deeply empty because the only love he had, he didn't have the mother's love. The only love he had was his father's love and he sat down on his dad's lap and dad was telling him, this is how much I love you. Why do you love me? Right? Some of y'all wrote these cards to your mom. Mom, this is why I love you. And you're right, because you care for me, because you do all of these things, because you sacrifice for me, because you make me so happy. And mom reads this and she gets filled with delight. Dad, why do you love me? Esau asks. Because I love Wild game. We have one so much better than that. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, some of us know this. 
John writes, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And this is who we are. You know how desperate somebody is by the price they're willing to give in order to gain that thing that they seek. So here's the searching heart of God the Father, wanting to let you and me know how much we are loved so that we don't have to live in emptiness anymore. And he speaks and he yells through the prophets. He yells through all of these things. And then final revelation, he gives his son. And at the cross, God the Father pays the ultimate price in his act of desperate love to let you know that you don't have to settle for lentils anymore, but that you could have the greatest love that the world has ever known. And that God the Father gave up and paid the greatest price, the greatest lover, the greatest sacrifice so that we could know the most amazing love. And as we uh, end this time, we're going to go into prayer and we're going to sing. But as we sing, I want to encourage you. The truths of God are not lentils that you eat and drink and get up and go. But that you would sit and you would savor in the truth of God's word, the meat of God's word. And as we sing, that we, you would think about and meditate and reflect upon the truths that his word says are true about you and about me and about him. And as we do, that we would linger and just let the fullness of God's love fill our hearts so that we would not trade the ultimate for the immediate. Let's pray. How have we done this, saints of God? What price are we willing to pay in order to bankrupt the blessing of God in our lives? For Esau is just a a bowl of stew for his birthright. For some of us, it's our morals that we would sacrifice, that momentary pleasure, and say, God, I'd rather choose that in this moment. I'd rather choose to give up my purity, to give up my heart, to give up my devotion, to give up my integrity in order to advance the corporate ladder, to give up my integrity in order to get a better grade, to give up my integrity in order to be accepted in the eyes of these people. What are you willing to pay in order to gain that momentary, immediate pleasure? This ends up being lentil beans. Let's take a moment to pray to the Lord, asking that he would Just fill our hearts right now. And if there is a need for us to confess anything before the Lord, say, Lord God, I'm sorry for how I've traded your riches and your goodness for other things. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to not trade the ultimate for the immediate. Let's take a moment to pray that to the Lord for a couple moments. And we'll continue to worship the Lord through prayer and through song. Okay, so let's pray. Just committing our hearts to the Lord, asking if there's anything that would keep us from experiencing God, that we just turn that over to him right now. Let's let's pray together.
Father in heaven, we ask that you would wrestle with our hearts right now. That you would woo us into the loving embrace of the Father. Teach us that in order to embrace you, we need to let go of this bowl of lentil stew that we so desperately cling to, thinking that it will satisfy us. That this person, this thing, this relationship, this hobby, this habit, this whatever it is, dream, desire, whatever, that keeps us from embracing, experiencing the embrace of the Father. As we come to you right now, Lord God, we, we lay that down before you and ask that you would help us. Help our hands not to go back to that bowl. Help us to let go. Give ourselves to you. That you would satisfy, you would charm, that you would delight our hearts like nothing and no one else can. We thank you. Thank you so much. We love you and we pray this in Christ's name.